Hi, it's um, Wednesday night, I guess it's now, we just started Lag Bummer, and I'll say a few words, uh, some cute stuff that occurred to me, just thinking a little bit of Lag Bummer from a historical point of view, even though it's a little bit impossible, because Lag Bummer is not exactly in history, but it sort of is. Uh, I'm doing this because uh, this is being sponsored by Pinchas Karas in Brooklyn in, in New York who uh, is very kindly doing this because his grandfather's yard is coming up. Lili Nishmas, Zalman Do Ben Noach B'Tzalel. Koyan understand his 37th yard site is his Shabbos. So he passed away um, whew, right after Tish, <coughs> excuse me, right after Lag Bummer. Okay, Nishama Shavaliya. Uh, so thank you very much. Um, if you're in my shul or something like that, if you're going to be at Eitan Shuchman's tomorrow, don't listen to this because I don't have to worry about I'm saying the same thing over again tomorrow. I haven't worked it out in my head yet. But there's always some jerk who said, I heard this on your thing the other day. Um, so turn it off. The rest of you can listen. Uh, that because my show is having a big um, log mummer bash tomorrow, as you do every year. If you're in Baltimore, you can certainly come. Uh, you, you go in line and you'll find out where it is if you're interested. It's always a very nice business and the price is right. Uh, and it, the uh, Shulchman's home, near the base Yaakov. Uh, I just want to say before I proceed, this Shabbos I'm planning to be in Muncie uh, for a family simcha. My great-nephew is having enough of their Hill Evanger. And uh, so maybe I'll bump into some people, uh, some of you in Muncie this Shabbos. We'll see. But now let's talk about <coughs> Lagba Omer, where... Um, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm sure I've done in previous years the whole question, you know, where do you get to Hillel Shem Marichai, but let's just go right to, I'll tell you what occurred to me. We all know the story that immediately occurs when you talk about Lach Bomer of, of Shem behind the cave. And the Gemara is on Daflam and Gimel, for what that's worth. And, uh, but it has nothing to do with Lach Bomer. Uh, it's a story about Shem Marichai. There are actually many stories in the Gemara about Shem Marichai. I would say this is the most striking of them, but, you know, and uh, the Rashbi is uh, Tana, basically what we call second-generation Tana. <clears throat> so the interesting question is somebody like myself, if you want to get historically detailed, and others have done so, is when did this story exactly happen? How is this Nogay, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, to the uh, Bakoch Rebellion or something like that? Because um, the Rashbi is living then. You understand the Basimisha would destroy the year 70, then, by the time you get to 80 or so, you got your first group of Tanaim that we're all <clears throat> familiar with. Like I always say, it's you know it's the ones that the Seder, uh, you know what I mean, and B'nai Brock. Uh, the main actors of the first generation Tanaim is, you know, Relezer, Veshua, Rekiba, Reptarfin, Lezer and Azaria, Ramagamil is not there. Those are the <clears throat> five or six people I just mentioned are the main group, <clears throat> excuse me, of what we call the first generation time. I know there are others that make cameo appearances. I get that, but these are ones primarily. And then when they leave the scene, so you have the second generation, right? And second generation are Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, Shem Ben Yochai, Shem Gamliel, Son of Rabbi Gamliel, Yosei, people like that. And we kind of know, you know, more or less when these people lived. Those who are really interested in the nitty-gritty, you'll have to read the old historians. And if you're from, you'll do the Doris Rishonim. And you'll see <coughs> when we try to 
when he tries to locate this particular story or that one um, very ingeniously, by the way, in the uh, in the t proper time frame. You got to know your Roman history, of course. Basimatia is destroyed in the year 70. By that time, you have what they call the Flavian dynasty. And so you got Vespasian. We're all familiar with Aspasianus. Followed by um, Titus for a year or two, two years. And then Domitian. And Domitian is killed. Then you have the five good emperors. <clears throat> it's Nerva, Trajan, um, Hadrian, Antoninus Pius, <clears throat> and Marcus Aurelius. Remember that. Now, here's the thing. So when, so, so when is Hashem Gamaliel living, and when did this story <coughs> happen? Uh, it seems, <coughs> it's been suggested that Hashem <coughs> uh, and you, I know you know the story, I don't have to hazard over, you know, they're sitting at the table, and they're saying, what do you think of the Romans, and all that. I just want to call attention to the very interesting fact that the Gemara happens to make a big deal out of the fact that it was uh, from a guy named Yehuda ben Gerim, and later on he encounters him, and Nasa Gal Shalatamos, I think we all know that. Rabbi Semenowitz and Mashal gave me like his own Hasidic interpretation, Gala Tzomos, Gala Islamic Gimel. <coughs> you get it? So if you want to play with that and have a dry Torah tomorrow, work with that. <coughs> but, um, speaking historically to the degree that we're able to, so when exactly is all supposed to happen? <coughs> I think many people are familiar that this is not the only time uh, uh, the Ra uh, Rajbi <coughs> had to do with the Romans. It's been suggested, as I said before, Aaron Hyman and the Tolstoy by Ryan was a firm guy who wrote a very three big volume, uh, uh, you know, uh, set of uh, of the Tanoim Ryan biographies. Most people have stolen from that. Um, <clears throat> so he said that Yochai Shem Ben Yochai was like a hush of a guy by the Romans, which is interesting. So Shem Ben I'm sorry, Shem Ben Yochai. Grew up, <clears throat> seems to us like in a, in a well-to-do family that had to do with the Romans. In other words, unlike Rabbi Yehuda Barilai and the other guys who were talking about the Romans, like the, Rajmi actually knew what he's talking about. He had to do with them. Uh, one of the main bases for this is this extremely <clears throat> weird uh, Agadita, which many will remember from Sachim because they learned the last pick of Sachim on uh, 112 on Kofi Bezim and Alf. Where it says Chamisha Dvarim Tzi Rabbi Kivus Hashem Ben Yochai Keshayachabish Beis Asurin, and uh, this has to do with the fact that in the aftermath of the Bar Kokhba rebellion, when it was crushed, the Romans arrested Rabbi Kiva. The story is he was arrested for teaching Torah. Believe me, the Romans had planned on him otherwise, as you know. Rabbi Kiva said that Bar Kokhba is a Mashiach, so Bar Kokhba, uh, Rabbi Kiva, was the main person behind a big person behind this rebellion which cost so many lives on both sides. <clears throat> and um, therefore, the Romans are going to kill him for that. <clears throat> but whatever it is, the story, and he was, he was in jail for a while, and the Roman government was trying to figure out what exactly to do with him until they finally decided to torture him to death, as we all know the story. And while he was in jail, <clears throat> um, and if you're interested, you know, check it out in Doris Rishonim, or if you prefer the dummy version, get the uh, Victor Miller book. Oh, what's it called? Exalted People or Terror Nation, one of those two. Where he talks about that people, and he'll give you the dose were shown him in simple form. So uh, here's uh, Rabbi Kiva in jail. Shem Ben Yochai, who was one of his students, visits him. Amar Lo listen closely. Rabbi Amdeni Torah. So he goes visit Rabbi Kiva in jail, and sneaked in somehow, and he said, "Teach me something in the Torah." Amar Lo Enim Lamedcha, and I want to teach you. Which I think, you know, Rajam says. I'm in enough trouble for teaching Torah. Shalafi, Shahoyu Asik Batar Nitpas. 
He said, well, what was Rina got arrested for, for teaching? So I'm going to get into that. Amrlo, and the weird story is that Shimbun Yochai says to Rabbi Kiva, his Rebbe, Im deni, if you don't teach me something, Ani Yochai Abba, I'm going to tell my father, and he'll, he'll master you to the Romans. In other words, my father has, is, is influential with the Romans. Now, if he want to, but so-so this, but so-so that, he get you in big trouble. It is a very strange story, but it certainly indicates, aside from all the strangeness, that uh, his father was an influential guy with the Romans. So we have to understand, Rajvi is not some, you know, stomp from me that, you know, grew up, uh, you know, in a base medicine and never left his whole life and so forth and so on. The cave happens later, but he obviously came from what we would call a, a relatively sophisticated background. Of course, now show Chashu Batora, therefore he became a Tana, but uh, he knew wherever he speaks. <clears throat> in addition, there's that story where he goes in Me'ilo, remember this, uh, to Rome and uh, he cures <clears throat> the, the emperor's sick daughter, uh, whenever that happened. Uh, but he'd been in Rome. Unless you kind of came later, which is hard to say. This is what I mean when I said historically it's very hard to locate these Agatha's and put them in a row. Many have tried. Uh, <clears throat> but let's see it happened earlier. So he'd been Mamish in Rome. Uh, and then comes this story that we have, it seems, about the three guys sitting at the table. And, you know, he starts talking about the Romans. And the guy who instigates the whole thing is he would have been Gerim. And like I said before, he pops up later in the story. And it's not to be understood that Yehudim and Gerim on purpose told on him. But the way we understand this, he just had a big mouth. <clears throat> and so Shem Yichai made a big mistake talking in front of somebody who, who wasn't discreet. I know plenty of Balabots like that. <laughs> right? you, know, you, you, you can't trust anybody. And uh, that's what got him into trouble. Because, you know, Romans discovered this and Romans had a very good spy system. This we know from history, a snitch system. If you're going to run, going to run a gigantic empire, you have to run on the base of Lashon I mean, that's how it goes. You have to have denunciators, delators, and things like that. It's just necessary. Otherwise, how you know what's going on? Israel does it today <clears throat> with the Arabs in the occupied territories and whatever, even in the in the Green Line. You, you just got to know. Everybody's got to be on the take. So, uh, this, you would have been getting blabbed, and then came the whole story we had to hide in the cave. But, you know, speaking in the spirit of the morale, why is it we have to say, you'd been Gerim, like, well, what's what's the point? Seems like there's something to that. On the other hand, you don't want to insult converts, and it doesn't say anywhere that he was a bad Jew. I just want to be clear. He had a big mouth. I knew plenty of Jews with a big mouth. It doesn't say you'd been Gerim was a, was a Russia. Uh, he just got Shem Ben Yochai angry, because basically say, you're still around, you got me so much trouble, <clears throat> and all this sort of thing, you caused so much sorrow, you know. But no, I'm saying he's a bad guy. So I'll tell you where I'm going with this. <clears throat> I'm asking myself the question, when do we locate this story? It seems that it'd be after the death of Rabbi Kiva. Uh, in other words, it was a time of second generation Tanaim when it was permitted to come out of the closet and go back to teaching Torah and things like that. This was not the case under the reign of Hadrian, Adriana's case, sir. Uh, certainly after the rebellion, his aftermath, when they had the Asari, Uri, and Malchus and all that stuff, so people were actually arrested and killed, as you know, for teaching Torah. 
That's not the time we're talking about. Don't say that the three of them were having a secret session like in the Inquisition, you know, hiding from everybody. It's just that they were not discreet. You know what I always say? That um, this is the basis of the statement in the Pirkei of us, where he says, He said, take it from me, baby. You know, we were sitting, three of us at the table, and somebody brought up politics. Had we been talking Yavamas, Tosas, <laughs> Brisker, it would have been purely Lambdas, and we never would have got around to politics, and they would have gotten into trouble. You see? So, Kilochav Zivchamesim. I ended up having to live a life like a Zivchamesim, hiding in a cave. So, uh, that's, it therefore seems, this in the aftermath, so here comes something very interesting, <clears throat> at least to me. So this would put us, <clears throat> after the death of Hadrian, uh, the Bar Kokh Rebellion ended around 136, I believe. If I remember correctly, Hadrian dies at like 138, 139, something like that, around that time, not so long afterwards. Is during those years the Rabbi Kiva was executed, Chenid ben Tragin, and so forth. And then we know a new emperor came on the throne. And by Jewish tradition, this emperor is the one who gave him permission to bury the, the, the bodies eventually, as the Tova Meitav that I mentioned the other day. So who is this guy? It's the Roman Emperor Antoninus Pius, or as they call him in the Yeshiva, Antoninus Pius. Right? Um, this Agantam Avucha, who exactly is, is, is Antoninus with Gabriel with, Hidanossi and all that, don't even get me started on that. Because <clears throat> it's impossible to make any kind of sense chronologically out of that whole thing. Many have tried, including Darius Rishon, <clears throat> not successfully. So what do we know about the Emperor Antoninus Pius? Who, as I say before, as best you can calculate, that is when the story of the cave happened. The meal and the cave and the hiding and all the rest of it. <clears throat> uh, there are problems even with my theory, but I'm just telling you what it is. So, Antoninus Pius is actually, <clears throat> how should I put it? In some respects, <clears throat> the best of Roman emperors. Because during his time, the Roman Empire just chugged along and had no wars. Basically, very with minor exceptions. And he had peace and prosperity. Before him was Hadrian, who had all kinds of tsars. And after him was Marcus Aurelius, who Mamish had all kinds of tsars. But Antoninus Pius was very chilled out, and he and he was a Roman aristocrat, and he just hung around the palace in, in Rome, and he governed justly. He was not one of these uh, emperors, you know, like a Caligula or Tiberius or something like that, that killed people for fun and all that sort of things. Sadism. It wasn't like that. A cool dude. <clears throat> However, he never went to Israel. He was a Roman aristocrat. He couldn't have met Rebbe if the ages don't work out. <clears throat> Rebbe would have been born around the time that Antoninus Pius was the emperor. Uh, and that's what happened. There is a very obscure uh, reference that there was some kind of rebellion of the Jews in the time of Antoninus Pius. I don't believe it, neither does Halevi, and he's right on that one. I'm talking about the Doris Rishonim. <clears throat> this is just made up. Uh, I won't go into the details of what's made up. So the Jews basically had it okay. <clears throat> and here's the funny part. <clears throat> what do we find uh, that we know, the very, very little we know about Antoninus Pius and the Jews? I mean, the real Roman emperor, Antoninus Pius. <clears throat> the answer is precious little, but what we do know is very fascinating. 
in um, Jewish halacha, that's one thing the Romans had their own halacha. There's Roman law, and the Roman law had its own system, and they had their gedolim in law, and uh, what they called the jurisconsults and the um, responsa writers. The term responsa that we use in Shabbos is stolen from the Latin. It's a it's a it's a it's a matter of of Roman <coughs> law. And they have their system, except that they used to codify more often than we do. And <clears throat> one of the famous guys is Modestinus, Herennius Modestinus, who wrote the Corpus Chivalis uh, Digesta. Uh, he wrote a digest of laws, in which he just recorded a bunch of piske halach, if I can use that term, a, frame, a famous Roman postscript, let's put it that way, in Roman law. And one of them <clears throat> goes like this. By quote, it's very short. <clears throat> quote, by a rescript of the deified pious, it is allowed only to Jews to circumcise their own sons. A person not of that religion who does so <clears throat> suffers a penalty of one carrying out a castration. Unquote. So rescript means a psak. This <clears throat> mamish a tshuva. A rescript is a tshuva. You send me a shalos and your tshuva. And deified pious is just a fancy name for the emperor Antoninus Pius who was a real Roman, 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 <clears throat> by the traditions. The Romans and the Greeks <clears throat> always thought that circumcision is unbelievably barbaric. I know it's a joke, because the Romans are the guys with the, with the, with the uh, what do you call it, gladiators, <laughs> right? Give me a break. You know, the, the, the crowds uh, filled the Roman uh, <clears throat> stadium to watch people be torn apart by lions. You know, so if anybody was a grubby young sick dogs with the Romans, and their culture was a sick culture. But, you know, everything's relative, <clears throat> and the God the Romans, they thought that someone should do this and this to their body, <clears throat> circumcision was unbelievably barbaric. Therefore, was more or less equivalent <clears throat> to castration. But, and let me say further, <clears throat> that when the Romans encountered the Jews, they never could make any sense out of this that the Jews have circumcision. But the Jews were not the only ones. The Egyptians, and especially Egyptian priesthood, was also always circumcising. The Arabs long ago had circumcision. So there were a few groups in the Roman Empire at the time of Rashmi that had circumcision. And the attitude of the Romans was <clears throat> that if you're one of those weird groups, okay, but the have it okay. See if you're Jewish, since it's your religion, all right. But nobody else. Get it? The language is very uh, twisted. It says it's only allowed to Jews to circumcise their sons. person not of the religion does so <clears throat> is suffering the penalty of one carrying out a castration. <clears throat> so literally it means you have to have a Jewish moral. But the way all the historians and the analysts, what they call the philologists, interpret that <clears throat> is that and it's convoluted. And what it means is the Jews can only circumcise Jews. They can't circumcise anybody else. And that's mashma, that's usher, to make gerim. And that is very logical based on what we know about the Romans. <clears throat> All you have to do is read Tacitus, the famous historian who I believe wrote in the time of Trajan, which is just before our story. <clears throat> and he talks about the fact that the Jews, as terrible, they themselves are weirdos, and now they're making converts, and they're very successful in making <clears throat> converts, which is true. The period of the Roman Empire was a time <clears throat> when a lot of guys were dissatisfied with the state religions. They were looking for alternatives. Some of them, <clears throat> not all, 
uh, went to Judaism. There were even some Roman senators, believe it or not, which is like unthinkable, who a few years earlier in the time of Domitian in the 90s <clears throat> converted to Judaism and they were killed for the crime that how can a Roman, you know, be so traitorous <clears throat> to his own uh, family traditions <clears throat> and join the Jews, you know, that's like too much. And so Domitianus had them uh, executed. There are references this in the Gemara, by the way. And therefore, this rescript would be saying that uh, circumcision and therefore conversion to Judaism is also, except for Jews. Jews to Jews, okay. Because that's your tradition, that's your religion. It's weird, but okay. But nobody else. So basically, what I'm trying to paint is a picture in which, at the time of these emperors, Trajan, <coughs> Hadrian, and, and Antoninus Pius, uh, we're not allowed to be MacGyver anybody. Keep that in mind. You know how to be MacGyver anybody? It was actually like a capital crime. Because it says he's going to suffer the penalty of one carrying out a castration, which is in Roman law a capital crime. <coughs> uh, and now we have the fact that we have a story of our three heroes, Rav Shem Ben Yochai, Rav Yudabarlai, Rav Yosei. You know, Rav Yudabarlai says the Romans are good, Rav Shem Ben Yochai says the Romans are bad, and Rav Yosei said it didn't say nothing. And they find out about it from Yehuda Ben Gerim. <coughs> there shouldn't even be a guy named Yehuda Ben Gerim. <coughs> Not at that time. He's illegal. And when it says Ben Gerim, I don't know if you, you know, it's very hard in the Gemara to know does that mean he's the children descendant of Gerim? Or you even Gerim sometimes the name they, they, they give to somebody <coughs> who himself had been Megayer. <coughs> ben this, Abu this, it's, it's, it's not uncommon. And so it just struck me, <coughs> very interestingly, that this story, <coughs> the best I can tell, happened during the reign of Antoninus, Antoninus Pius. And uh, if the story is literally accurate, he stayed in the cave for 12, 13 years until the emperor died. Which would mean Antoninus Pius, I believe, was in the, I believe, reigned in the 140s and 150s. He died in like 160. I think that's exactly how it worked out. And he didn't have kids, but, or sons, and he adopted, you know, Marcus Aurelius and his brother. That's how he became Lucius, you know, that's how he became the next emperors. <clears throat> so here we, this story would therefore be taking place in the 140s, and smack in the middle of the reign of Antoninus Pius who, relatively speaking, was a nice guy. Relatively speaking. He allowed them to bury the bodies. He obviously took away the Isser on teaching Torah. You understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> you know, he, he said the Jews can, be, can, can, can mild themselves, you know, in their, in their own religion. So as Roman emperors go, <clears throat> he was a good guy. As they go. I mean, I'm sure he has issues, but compared to Hadrian, the Jews must, I guess, woo! Matter of fact, in my personal opinion, that's why the Gemara, when it ever talks about a good Roman, calls Montanus Pius, like Rebbe Montanus. I don't think it's referring. I mean, it can't be the Emperor Antoninus. So, but why would they pick that name? Because in Jewish folk memory, <clears throat> you know, the reign of Montanus coming after Hitler was great. You know, I mean, Hadrian was like Hitler, <clears throat> and Antoninus was better. Now it wasn't perfect, even for shooting your mouth off. And criticizing Rome, you could be high Misa. That's why Shimon Yichai the hide in a cave. <clears throat> okay. Now, uh, <clears throat> obviously, they broke the law. Meaning, 
they broke the law. They had they had Gerim. If there's a guy who hit him in Gerim, he shouldn't even be there. It could be that he was arrested by the Romans for converting to Judaism, and in order to save his own life, he had to tell tell this story. That is how the Romans operated. You think I'm making this up? You look on um, Parshas, uh, who, uh, with the two sons, Yaakov and Esau. What am I thinking? Chaisar told us, told us it should be. Yeah. Told us. Where it talks about uh, Yaakov and Esau. And you'll see, the Medrash talks about the Romans, how they knew how to interrogate people. You know, I remember it's like this. Loganoft, Miganofimoch. You know, it's called the third degree. That they shine the light in your face. That we know. You, okay, you you say you didn't do it. Fine, you didn't do it. Who was your partner? Who did it with you? You know they confuse you. Get it? They're very good in police interrogation. And it wouldn't surprise me that the Yudman game had to give this guy these guys up to save his own life because he's alive later on. And that's why Shemayichai is so angry later on and becomes a galshal at Thomas because you, know, you you don't want to cause all trouble. As a Gary, you should just stay. To, uh, you shouldn't even. You should lie low and run away to another country or something like that. You certainly don't get yourself caught and then blame me. Uh, but that's what happened. So all my all I'm saying is that if you take the trouble to look to to do what I'm doing, which is to try to locate the story within the best possible historical context that we can, because <clears throat> you never know exactly when it happened. But it makes the most sense to me that it's after the death of Rabbi Kiva. And during time when it was permitted to teach Torah, the only thing is you're not supposed to talk about politics. So even in the relatively good time of Antoninus Pius, but obviously the Roman government ain't going to have no time for anybody to criticize his Rome. You don't do that. But he never thought that somebody would tell. And he never thought that somebody who's a gear, who shouldn't even be a gear under Roman law, is definitely going to be hiding from police. And obviously the guy got himself caught or something like that, somehow or other. Um, I don't know, you know, only now we're finding out what really happened with Anne Frank, so only, you know, who knows, one day we'll find out what really happened with Yehudim and Gerim, and the result's going to be um, that we will we'll be able to unravel better the story of Shem ben Yochai. If he was indeed, you know, done in by, uh, by Yehudim and Gerim, that is like a very significant, very interesting story, because it goes to show you that... Um, the Jews were playing with fire. They're saying the Jews were playing with fire. Um, because the few laws that they had included the idea, you know, don't don't share this with anybody else. It's bad enough you guys are Jewish and you have your own rituals. We don't want the Jewish religion spread throughout the Roman Empire. Keep it among the Jews itself. Uh, and, and uh, you know, Rashbi therefore becomes a very interesting player in this story. <clears throat> now, how you relate this to... Uh, the Hilula, the Rashmi, and the Zohar, all the rest of it, is a different discussion. Maybe that's what I'll talk about tomorrow at the Shul uh, Barbecue. But meanwhile, uh, try to uh, you know follow the thought that I just said and do a little research online and see who Antoninus Pius is, especially as far as the Jews are concerned. And if it's true, and I think it is, that this is when this is the time period when the famous story of Shimba Yochai in the cave takes place, so see how, um, how shall I put it, this would reflect the very delicate life that these Tanoim had to live in, and I don't think most people are aware of that. 
because the Mishnah is put together at a time when these rabbis are being spied upon by the Roman government because they don't trust them. And I don't say the Romans were wrong. <clears throat> by, me, by that I mean Rabbi Kiva did back a rebellion. Now, I understand Rabbi Kiva doesn't represent all the rabbis, but to the Romans he did. And it meant you had this uh, potential. All it takes is one guy to start the ball rolling, and next thing you know, you have a war in your hands. The Bar Kokhba rebellion almost broke the Romans. This is what, uh, this is what uh, the Roman historians tell us. It was a tough time for them. It was a disaster, Ben Benoshal disaster for the Jews, but it was also tough for the Romans. So in this context, to uh, you know, speak of something other than Atosis and Yamamas was was uh, how should I put it? You know, a very risky kind of business, um, and therefore, therefore, the the sages had to be very diplomatic, and that watch what they're doing. If the story, I'll just leave with this, of Shimon Yochai going to cure the emperor's daughter took place later. As many suggest, because he went with the son of Yosi, uh, that is a super weird story. Because here's a guy that went wanted by the Roman government, and sort of like was able to. And after twelve years, it seems like you know the whole business died down. I don't think the Romans forgave him. He just you know like laid low or something, and now he's going to wait to Rome, on a mission for the Jewish people. I mean, this is the one that they send. It's more misnomer to say that it happened earlier, but. I just shared with you what can be, you know, confusing to people or fun and games if you're in the in the uh, ancient Jewish history uh, business. Ancient Jewish history is the period of the Romans, Greeks and Romans. That's the, how we use the term. And when you try to locate these stories, if you're really interested in what I just said tonight, and you want to check it out, the, the way to do this is to uh, take the trouble and uh, work your way through the Doris Rishonim, or as I said before, through the Victor Miller book. And I think you'll have a, a much better and richer understanding of the times in which they lived. And like I say before, the Gedoli Yisrael, the Tanoim, had to be really wise men in order to walk that tightrope to keep the Yiddishkeit going. And the Yiddishkeit includes a dislike of Esau without getting the Romans ticked off to the point that they want to kill you. Anyway, that's just a few thoughts I had as far as the, the historical background, if we can uh, reconstruct it, of the famous story of the Rajvi and the cave.